Welcome to the Operation Miss Podcast, where we provide moms with tools to survive pregnancy and thrive postpartum. From healthcare providers and organizations to Miss Moms and moms who survive near-death complications, each conversation will equip moms to have a safer motherhood journey, whether preparing for pregnancy, currently pregnant, or recovering postpartum. It is our sincere prayer that all women who listen will leave with a missed mentality, one where she asks questions unashamedly so she can have what she needs to make an informed decision, where she has more trust in her body's design than she does in medical intervention, and where she allows her data to guide her lifestyle so she shows up to motherhood in her best health. Now, let's listen to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Operation Miss podcast, where we talk to amazing guests so that we can help equip women to survive pregnancy and thrive afterwards. And today, I am so excited to introduce Pamela Daniels. She is one of the most resilient and beautiful women I have ever met. And it was only a couple of months ago when we met, but I got to witness her protect her child while he was inside of her belly, create a team that she knew that she could trust, and then stand up for and advocate for herself before, during, and after delivery. And it is so beautiful to see a woman believe in herself enough to do all the things that she did, to make all of the sacrifices that she made. And so when you hear her story, you will fall in love and admire her just like I do. But I want to go ahead and turn it over to you, Pam, so that you can tell the people about you as a person, as a mom. You are absolutely beautiful. And I'm truly honored to know you and be talking with you tonight. Well, thank you so much, um, Dr. Catherine, for such kind words and uh, sentiments. I really feel like uh, I've known you forever, um, <laughs> just from from our our uh, ability to connect, even though we're a few miles away from each other. Um, but yeah, I'm really happy to be here, and thank you so much. Um, You're welcome. Me. Oh well, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure. Well, um, I'm based in New Jersey, Jersey girl here, born and raised um, in Newark. Um, I am the mom of two boys, so hashtag boy mom. Um, uh, I am a, I guess at heart, I'm a community organizer. So I think some of that might have uh, contributed to my uh, approach to handling the crises that we'll get into. But um, I'm a publicist, um, entrepreneur, publicist, as well as um uh, a strategic planner. Um, and I've, you know, work, I have my own company, the Brickerati Group, um, and I support various projects throughout uh, the state and uh, also working on across the country a little bit now. So, uh, yeah. You go, girl. <laughs> You're welcome. Hold on one moment. Hello, Dr. Thompson. You are right on time. We are just finished introducing. Um, Ms. Pam. And so let's continue. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey to your first delivery? So how did your first pregnancy go and what happened during that uh, during that delivery time? 
Sure. So my first child was a uh, I had a pandemic baby, uh, 2020, um, where not only was this whole world of, of motherhood uh, or expecting mom, uh, expectant mom knew, um, I had to do mo it mostly in seclusion. Um, so it was a very interesting pregnancy, uh, but also um, because of the projects that I was working on, I was actually able to get out by the time the summer came and worked on a project that was actually opening a drive-in movie theater. So I was very active. Um, I have a way of compartmentalizing, um, which I'm still not sure if it's a, a asset or a liability. But um, because of that, um, I spent a lot of time on my feet. And um, I think overall, I was pretty healthy and pretty solid um, with just, you know, my daily experience, the, the energy that I had to exert, um, flying all around. Um, and but didn't spend too much time thinking about, oh, I, sh I should have a team and all these other things, right? That, that, that expected moms generally dive into. Like I did none of that um, and almost did none of that again the second time around, but we'll get into that. So, um, but yeah, so um, I you know, had a hospital birth. Um, I went up to uh, 41 weeks. And in a few days, what ended up being an additional few few days and um, went through some uh, induced labor that I find out this time around that was sort of out of order. <laughs> and the, the order in which it was done wasn't the, I guess, the best practice. Um, and so I uh, ended up having a C-section um, for my first uh, my first birth. Um, my son was born in, in September, September of 2020. And yeah, it was very scary. Um, I was in the hospital for uh, about four or five days ahead in terms of the, um, the induction process, the failed induction. I learned that term, failed induction. And then, um, then having the C-section, then my son actually had to stay in the hospital for a couple of days. So I was in there for about a week, a little bit over a week. Um, and yeah, but I brought home a healthy baby, yeah. um, just with a lovely scar and pain and having to do everything that you need to do, um, you know, as a single mom, um, needing to be mobile. <laughs> um, and, uh, but yeah, with, with a lot of uphill climb um, with that. Wow. So can you tell us what made you say yes to the induction the first time? Um, Hmm. What made me say yes to the induction? Well, again, I didn't have a lot of information to draw on. So um, I knew that it was my intent to deliver the baby. Um, I didn't have too many preconceived notions about um, C-sections other than knowing that my mom had several C-sections. And I've heard some war stories about that. I have friends who had them. Um, so it wasn't the first choice. Um, and so uh, when the option of the the induction, you know, was presented, again, me not knowing what was going to happen with that. And that turned out to be a very traumatic experience that I ended up having to repeat. But um, yeah, so I just said yes, just based off of the information that I had. Now, I did have a midwife there who I think um, 
was very helpful in in getting me to make decisions <laughs> because I was definitely delaying and just not wanting to kind of jump to anything. I'm wanting to, you know, oh, well, do we have to do this net right now and and so on. But um, she was really, uh, you know, really kind and really um, spoke to me like a human being, and I think she was very helpful. So definitely, I don't remember her name. I want to give her a shout out. For sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. So the recovery can be extremely painful from a C-section. I'm so happy that you mentioned that because I have been hearing more and more often that there are some women who just opt to have it out of convenience or, you know, they they feel like it is the other way to birth. So that um, there are no increased risks or no, you know, no, there's no reason to not do it. They don't really look at it as a major surgery. So thank you for bringing that up. It is not easy to recover. Yeah, I actually had complications during my recovery. So um, I ended up injuring myself. That's one way we could put it. Um, Had a moment, baby's on the bed, reached across to try and grab something and like ended up splitting my incision in a little area. And so that led to like, um, basically an infection, but because of the way that I was dressing my wound after kind of consulting, you know, with my cousin on how I wanted to approach it because I didn't want to take antibiotics. I wouldn't advise that. It's not medical advice, but um, I took a, a naturopath, a homeopathic uh, approach to dressing and healing my wound and which I know contributed to a much better healing process even after that injury. But it just, it, it was a complication that again, wasn't preemptively shared that these things can happen. You move in a way that you think you're normal. Everything is fine. I feel this pain, but I can still, you know, just quickly, you know, adjust my body to do something that it normally would do. No, you can't. Yes. <laughs> Learn that the hard way. And it was definitely extremely painful. But I was able to, um, to like I said, to heal myself and saw, you know, daily improvements, you know, through the the plan that we, we, we implemented. Wow. Wow. And surprised the doctor when I came back in because he wasn't expecting my wound to look like the way it did or him to heal as fast as it did. I mean, he was shocked because he, he told me it's going to be worse before it gets better. <laughs> I'm like, wow. okay, thanks, bro. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, I love that you said that sometimes we move in a way we realize that it hurts, but sometimes it's you almost feel like, well, what else am I going to do? I'm a single mom. I have to get this done. And there are better ways to move though. And as long as you have the right people to show you, it helps. And so, you know, I just took a course from Dr. C. Graves, the enhanced recovery after delivery. And she talks about the importance of having physical therapists there, especially following cesarean deliveries and having physical therapists teach moms how to move, how to lift, how to get rid of excess swelling, how to decrease their pain naturally, you know, not having to depend on medications all the time, how to use the bathroom. I mean, a lot of different things. And so having a physical therapist on board, occupational therapist on board would be so good for every mom, but especially for moms who have delivered by C-section. Absolutely. I mean, Dr. Seagraves certainly came to my rescue um, after, you know, after the fact and helped me. Well, not only did she connect with the doctors on the ground, she was, you know, across the country, but she connected with the doctors on the ground and got a physical therapist to come to me and to help me and support me. Um, and um, also taught me about compression. And so instead of, you know, the healing, um, not healing yourself, you know, through the 
the process of just letting things sit, you kind of push it in and, and do a lot of binding and the compression will help. And that certainly was like phenomenal change, you know, in, in how, um, how we were able to just uh, address the wound. So I definitely think a physical therapist, which was not something I would think of, would have thought of having. But um, like I said, you, you think you're, you're able to adjust and, and maneuver the same way and just figuring out how to properly get out of bed so that you, you know, you're not in excruciating pain was really, really helpful. Yeah. Okay. So let's fast forward. So you had this birth and then a couple years later or a year and a half later, you get oh, two years, just about two okay. years later in terms of delivery. Yeah. Okay. So because of my um, experience and the, the first time around, um, when, you know, I found out I was pregnant, um, I definitely had it in my mind that I didn't want to go through what I went through. However, like I said, I'm a compartmentalizer, didn't really focus on, you know, how am I going to do this? And, you know, who should be on my team and all of that kind of stuff early on. Like it was just, we went about eight months. <laughs> okay. Oh, I mean, no not acknowledging like um you know like coming up with the building blocks of what should happen and then dr seagraves again you know said pamela <laughs> you need to have a doula you need to really think about what is your birth plan i mean she said birth plan to me like a hundred times and then at some point it just finally clicked like okay i need to really think about this and so i was able to find a local doula um, I actually got a, ended up getting a two for one because the doula that I had worked with was going on vacation. And if I didn't deliver by the certain date that she um, was going to send her backup, it ended up being amazing as well. So I had one doula that was, you know, remote and another one who was present. Um, and so, but just leading up to it, you know, I got, I just, I got so much information from him again, that I didn't crack open in the book and certainly my doctor had never given me. Um, but just in the few, you know, weeks that we worked together, like I learned so much from her that I'd never heard from my doctor. Right. And I'm just like, okay, so shouldn't some of this have been told to me by the doctor? I mean, just like a little bit, right? A little <laughs> bit could have been shared with me, but nothing. And every time I went to the doctor, it was just always, so do you have any questions? And that was it. Do you have any questions? Like, can you just give me like a baseline of some information that you think would be helpful to me? Like, no. So um, I really just, that alone, the doula um, support was just absolutely amazing. Um and I, what I did was able to to do, and to my doctor's credit, um, I, I had been looking for a VBAC doctor. Um, I had learned what that term was. Um, I knew I couldn't go back to the former place because the doctor, the hospital that I delivered my first son at, um, they have a policy that they do not, if you have a C-section there, then you can only have C-sections. They will not do vaginal deliveries. So I knew ahead of time that I couldn't go back there. So I've been looking for someone who was willing to let me, in quotes, do a VBAC. And, and so the doctor that I ended up um, obtaining, retaining, was in support of that. Um, but what, what ended up happening was, um, again, my babies were late and I have a whole thought process on on you know these dates that they set in stone and that you know they characterize as late when you know it it just not it, this the window is like at least two weeks right that they can be off 
Um, and so, but regardless, the, the fact that I was quote, overdue, um, really changed, ended up changing the tune of the doctor. And so there was a, a new, um, attitude to really try and get me to do a C-section, which I was not happy about. Yeah. And so I, I really love that you said that number one, the amount of information that you are able to get from a doula is, is great. I mean, from a lot of different health professionals. The thing about it is that no one professional can do it all. And so I think the best, the women who have the best experiences are the ones who recruit people from a bunch of different areas so that they can get all the information they need so that they can make informed decisions. The other thing that we see, unfortunately, is exactly what you said. There are a lot of people who are, quote unquote, okay with you having a vaginal birth after a cesarean delivery up until you get to 40 weeks or 41 weeks or, you know, some time frame. And so we try to get moms to ask that question at the beginning. So is there a certain time after which you're going to say, I have to induce or I have to have a C-section? If that is the case, what is that time? And then a mom can make an informed decision, just like you did the second time around. It was like, okay, I know I can't deliver at that hospital because they're going to make me have a C-section. So I want to deliver somewhere else. So you were able to, with the information you had, make a better decision. But it is very unfortunate because, you know, this, this story is so mind boggling how hard you had to fight during your labor so that you could deliver the way you wanted to. It was it's almost like you were back at that other hospital where the C-section was the only option, even though you have a very well working vagina out of which you can push a baby. And so we just, let's talk about that. So, you know, we connected because Dr. C. Graves connected us, right? And your story just, I'm trying to think of where it is best to start it. So at what point did they say, okay, you need to come in for a C-section. And then you felt like, okay, I really have to do that. I have to admit myself. So I was... 41 weeks and maybe two days, I think it was. And um, I had just done a two-mile walk, feeling real good. <laughs> um, and um, when I went to, at, up until that time, every few days, I had, I was going into the, into the hospital for monitoring, for fetal monitoring. And... Um, Check, they checked the size of the baby. They checked, you know, heart rate and just wanted to make sure everything was okay. And, and since I was not admitting myself at, up until that point, they basically said, all right, well, we'll meet you halfway. Can you just come in, you know, every every couple of days, basically what it ended up being. So I agreed to that. And um, the day that I had, uh, the, the last day that I come in for that monitoring, um, they told me that the, the ultrasound, uh, it looked like I had, well, my placenta, what was it? My placenta was dead. Um, yeah. <laughs> basically, um, I forgot the word they use, but, and that there was no calcified. water. Mm -hmm. Calcified. There we go. Calcified placenta. And there was no water in um, my uterus. I don't know. <laughs> I guess. Around the baby. Right. <laughs> yeah. There was no water around the baby. Uh -huh. So um, that was like, midday um up until that point i did like the the 45 minute monitoring and they basically wanted me to come uh, they wanted me they wanted to send me right up for for the um more extensive monitoring 
Um, but I had to get my affairs in order um, before I could do that. Um, and then I eventually agreed to come back. And when they basically checked me in, put me on the monitor, I mean, everything was fine in the sense of, you know, the baby had a strong heart rate. Um, uh, they were all in agreement that there was no water. But um, after my examination, they said that my water hadn't burst and it hadn't broke um, at, up until that point. Um, and, but, yeah, at that point, I did just allow myself to to be there in their care. <laughs> yeah. So so this is important, right? So you're at the doctor's office. You're told that the placenta is not working anymore. And so you're putting your baby at risk. Because these are some of the things because we, we want to make sure the verbiage is out there so that people understand yes. what it sometimes says. So you're putting your baby at risk if you leave, if you sit down in the car, you can sit on the umbilical cord. You never know what's going to happen to your baby. Now, if something happens, that's on you. Oh, how optimistic you were to come without your bag. You knew that you, you know, you could possibly be admitted. It is language that can make a woman nervous about delivering, uh, nervous about continuing to carry on with her pregnancy. Uh, and these are things that women have to have the mental fortitude and the prior knowledge, or at least people on their team to help them make objective decisions, because at this point you would be making a decision out of fear otherwise. Yeah, the other thing they were were saying had to do with the size of my baby. Um, the last ultrasound that I had taken, um, they estimated the baby was nine pounds, three ounces. And um, they said, well, a, a baby that size, sorry, you hear my son in the background, <laughs> a baby that size, um, when upon delivery, vaginal delivery, he could suffer from shoulder distortion. <laughs> and that was said to me so many times in trying to get me to just agree that I had the baby cut out. <laughs> um, and I think that was probably something that definitely you know, just kind of um, planted in my mind a couple of, but for a while, because it was something that was constantly said, constantly, like just trying to wear me down. So, yeah. And it, you know, you should not be feel like, you should not be made to feel like you're trying to be worn down. You know what I mean? Um, can you tell us what made you say, okay, I hear what they're saying. I still want to try for a vaginal delivery. So the first night I got there, um, they didn't do anything. They put me on the monitor. There was basically, because I didn't agree, the attending doctor who happened to be the the chief of the department, um, was he was the on duty that night. And he actually ended up being on duty the night I delivered. But um, he basically said, since I wasn't agreeing to a C-section, which would have been the best scenario, you know, for, for, for my, me and my baby. Um, there's nothing they can do tonight. Maybe the morning shift might consider something else, um, some other options, but, um, you know, just have a good sleep. <laughs> That's basically what he said. Um, you know, I signed some paperwork, you know, that giving them permission that if something happens in the middle of this, these are their words, if something happened in the middle of the night and I have to be rushed off to emergency C-section, then I need to sign permission for that to, to occur. Um, so I, I signed a lot of things related to that was all presented in, you know, worst case scenarios, um, uh, presentation, but, um, the next morning I, so I met a, a course of three midwives, um, over the course of my stay. And so the first midwife, um, I met the first, the next morning and, um, 
she was the first relatively optimistic person um, to say, well, let's try a um, induction. Uh, up until that point, I didn't, you know, I was having flashbacks of the induction process. And so I didn't want it like going in. Um, but when I realized that there were um, the options, you know, were uh, to have a C-section or try these induction steps, you know, um, or try nothing. But, you know, at that point, I definitely, I guess, had comfort in knowing that the monitor was there and like I'm hearing my baby's heartbeat and I'm, I'm personally monitoring his heart rate. Um, and, you know, the calcified placenta was definitely like ringing in my head. So just, so the safety of just me being able to hear his heartbeat, you know, kept me there. Yeah. Um, and the next morning when the the midwife came in, um, you know, um, she, she basically said, you know, we can put the Foley. Right? Yeah. Foley? The Foley bowl. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Foley bowl in there. Um, and see what happens. And, you know, it's 12 hours and it was not easy. I mean, it was a really, really, really hard insertion. Um, but she got it. And I, I mean, and it took a while. And so, I mean, it was just like the first win, like, okay, we got this thing in here, you know? And so I think it just, through the whole thing, it was just a series of tiny wins that just kept me moving forward with the process. Um, wasn't the process that I wanted, you know, I wanted to just let my body tell me, but I felt like I had to actively do something to at least keep these people at bay, you know, from keep their knives away from me and, you know, go in this direction of, okay, an induction. And then as they were explaining, you know, the process of the induction and the midwife, I mean, I think the midwife definitely spoke to me in a different, again, a different, using different language and different understanding than the doctors. Um, I realized that the way that my induction was done last time wasn't, it wasn't done in the same order as this one, you know, they put the, the fold, like I was putting on Potosian right, right away in the first one. Um, this one, um, they gave me the Foley and we did the 12 hours first, you know? Um, and then at the end of the 12 hours, I was actually four centimeters. I woke up the next morning, I lost a centimeter. So that was like, a huh. but, um, yeah, but it was, it, it it started the process. And so I kind of, at that point, just committed to, okay, so how do we do this right, do this successfully? And that's where all of the phone calls and the text messages and everything when you guys came in, like, all right, how do I make sure they do this thing right and they don't kill my uterus? All right. And that was the adventure from that point, that, that second day. Yeah. Okay. So then let's talk about the Pitocin because sometimes people don't realize that you can take a break from the Pitocin. Right. So can you explain how the Pitocin process works and just go yes. ahead and tell us? So, um, and these will not be the proper terms, you know, expressions, it's but okay. um, the scale is basically one to 20. And what it seems the normal practice is in order to um, get you to the rhythm, the height of the rhythm that you need in order to um, for your bodies to go into labor. Um, they generally just turn it on and pump you up and get you to the rhythm. <laughs> um, but 
other things are supposed to be happening in your body um, besides that labor, like the cervix thinning out and all these other different um, pieces. And so if you just kind of turn the spigot on to up to 20 in the first, you know, eight hours, then you haven't given your body a chance to actually do what it's supposed to do. So, um, so we, I controlled how that Pitocin was going to be, you know, um, distributed. Um, we did end up taking breaks, um, overnight breaks. Um, you know, we sat at levels for a while, you know, longer than they wanted to. We stopped um, kind of leading up to what ended up being the, no, yeah, I think we stopped like maybe halfway, like on the second, the third day, maybe. And just, oh, you're okay. Sorry, he's waking up. <laughs> don't be sorry. We love babies on the <laughs> Please don't be sorry. Um. And yeah, the again the the winds on on the way that we rolled out the pitocin did allow my cervix to to thin out. Um, they were surprised when at they were when they were checking me, um, the effacement you know was happening. Um, so we went from you know zero to you know a certain percentage you know 50 percent 75 percent and 100 percent and i was 100 percent for a while even before my dilation um got to where it needed to be so dilation was like the very last thing that happened um but so because and because of that they were still calling it a failure and i'm sitting here like well hold up okay i faced over these few days like you know my um Cervix is the right thing. Like, what do you? Anyway, so um, and up until again the the night of um the conversation that I had with that that the chief of the department and my doctor, um, you know, was well, what? How long are you going to do this before you let us basically before you let us have this C section? And um, I I just basically said, well, I'm going to sleep on this, and then we'll. T- figure it out in the morning. Um, and this was four days in at this point. So I just pick him up. That's fine. Because one thing I want to say, you know, the, the language sometimes that we use as women, you know, they let me do this. They, you know, they let me try this. It's like, no, you had to, for everything, you had to fight for it. All they were, oh, hey. okay, introduce him to our people. So this is... Zakai Jethro. Oh, <laughs> only has an angry face. He hasn't discovered smiles yet. So yeah, he's still mad at those doctors. Yes, yes. He's still mad at them. <laughs> yeah. He is precious. But you know, you have to ask for what you want. And that's that's what I really I mean, when you say the only option they gave you was C-section. And then you said well, no, I'm not going to do that. So then they kept offering you a C-section and finally conceded to an induction. You shouldn't have to fight for that when there's nothing wrong with you, nothing wrong with the baby. It is hard to have to, you be the one presenting the options. And so Mm -hmm. if you don't have anyone helping you present options, then you're without resources. And, And 
the amount of time it took for you to deliver because you didn't go in after your contraction started or anything like that, it does extend the amount of time that you're there. And one thing that we really want listeners to know is if you are admitted to the hospital, you decide to go into the hospital because you want to be able to see your baby monitored, you should feel okay about the amount of time that it takes to deliver, especially if you were scared into going into the hospital, because that's essentially why you went. You didn't go because you just wanted to admit yourself. You went because you were scared. So once you're there, then you should feel a peace of mind like you did and just really let your body go through the process. And and that is hard to do in the midst of people who are trying for that process to to end up in a C-section, because I'm telling you, it was every three hours that someone was offering you a C-section. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. And again, like the the there were definitely staff members who were like cheerleading, like, oh, this girl's gonna try is really trying to make this happen. And there were some, you know, who were like probably taking bets, like she ain't gonna make this. She's just being difficult. She's wasting our time, <laughs> you know. But um, but I had some real champions in there. One nurse, um, Deandra, that that came in there, she she stayed with me like like for like her whole shit we were like don't you got other patients but she was really trying to get the rhythm you know together and was helping you know it was when we were doing the turn up you know of the of the pitocin and um you know i was also working on my doula i was getting on the ball i always had to be readjusting because everything was falling and she just kind of stayed there you know for for a while um and then that same day was when the the i think it was like the second or the third um a midwife who came in and, and um, just really was just encouraging to saying, you know, like, I think, you know, it's worth a try. Like, it's worth a try for you to keep, you know, for you to do this. Who she was okay with the taking a break, you know, really understood like the pacing that we were talking about. Um, and, and even another nurse um, who came in the morning after we had turned everything off and just said, all right, I'm going to bed, I'm going to sleep. Um, she came in the next morning, like, When's the last time you had something to eat? When's the last time you took a shower? So she just came and said, okay, today's the day. We're going to forget everything you did there before. Like, I'm going to get you, I'm going to find you some clothes. Like, find you, you know, a new, a new, um, a, a gown. I'm going to get you this, get you that. I said, is there a shower curtain? She's like, I'm going to find a shower curtain. There was no shower curtain in the, in the shower. So I'm like, this makes no sense. But she found the shower curtain. She put it up. It was a little short. She's like, listen, this is what we got. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, just her, her whole energy, you know, just. Turned everything, um, you know, around from the kind of feeling defeated, like, okay, we had to turn this thing off. We're going to have to start all over again. You know, um, it was just, that was Karen. Ironic when her name was Karen, too. <laughs> so we, we joked about that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but, um, and, and it, it, yeah, it was just definitely, and, and it was later that day that, the, you know, the effacement changes, you know, happened. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really nice that you brought up all the different ways that you can progress. So position of the cervix, right? We talked about that. Thinning of the cervix, the the um, movement of the baby's position. So yeah, the how far the baby the stations, is down yeah. into the canal. Yeah. And so all of those things are progress. It's not just the dilation. And so that's really important for people to realize you are not stalled if you don't do the one thing that people are wanting you to do if the contractions are not coming as quickly or as strongly as they want them to come. And so it's, so you pausing the Pitocin though, so important that while you paused, that you ate, that you rested, 
that you hydrated. Sometimes women are going three, four or five days and they're not eating. And so sometimes you need reminders. And so it's really good that you did that. Okay. That was also, that was also part of the um, remembering from the first time, the trauma of the first time around, like they starved me for days. And I had a, my, my best friend who was pregnant at the time as well. She stayed with me again during the pandemic. So if you came, you had to stay, right? So she couldn't leave. And so they brought her food and she's in my room eating and I couldn't eat. I'm like, okay, we're not doing this again. All right. <laughs> like, we're not, we're not doing this again. So I have my illegal food, um, you know, and I was able to eat, but. Uh, we had Karen ask me, like, so what's the last we ate? I'm like, well, legally, it's been like four days, but <laughs> illegally, I've been eating a little bit. <laughs> yes, we need fuel to, to deliver babies. It takes energy. So, okay, so let's flash forward to when you actually deliver it. So, because um, uh, one other thing I love that you said, let's reassess in the morning. If that became our thing, right? Let's just reassess mm-hmm. in the morning. Let's see what Good morning. We're just gonna talk about I this later. That you okay. that because there is no harm in waiting. There's no harm in seeing what progress is going to be made, especially because they are monitoring you, monitoring the baby. I think that because because the hospital system is a business, they are they have multiple things that they have to be thinking about. As a mom, your job is to protect and care for your baby and yourself because. At the end of the day, the hospital will continue to stand even after you leave. Where there are moms who pass away, there are moms whose babies die. The hospital stays open and the mom is the one that has to go home grieving. And so if it's not a physical grief, if it's not a loss, then sometimes it is what happens to our bodies in the process. And so you deserve the right to choose what happens. And to continue to be informed about the state of, you know, health of you and your baby and not feel rushed into a decision. So I love that you kept asking, let's reassess, let's reassess. And that you had providers, like you said, who, you know, at the end of the day, you had some who respected your decision and also supported you in the decision that you wanted to make. So, okay. So now we get to the delivery. Tell us, tell us what happened. Tell us how you felt. So things kind of just went into warp speed at a, at a certain point. Um, so after I had the, said for the last time to the chief and to my doctor that we'll just see what happens in the morning, I was basically letting them know I want to turn the Pitocin off. Um, the midwife that I had met on like the second day, um, was there and she, when she came in for her shift, she said, I know you've been checked several times. We're just going to wait, you know, to check you a little bit later. Um, cause that, that whole process is just extremely uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> and so, um, so I, I ate and I went to sleep. <laughs> um, um, when I woke up, I had, uh, Spoke to my father, who I hadn't spoken to um, through this whole process and was going through some stuff with. And um, she, after that conversation, the midwife came back in. She she set me up on a peanut ball for when she came in. She said, let's just try this position. It was so uncomfortable. I uh, felt like my hip was being, <laughs> being dislocated. Um, but then I got off the phone. She came in, you know, she checked me and she said, you're nine centimeters. I was like, what? <laughs> like, 
And then like she switched sides. Like I turned over to the other side. And so I couldn't, I wasn't looking straight on anymore. And then I'm just hearing all of this movement happened in the room so many people came in the bed did a whole transformer thing around me i mean it was just it was so fast and then she's just like in drill sergeant mode the midwife at this point like this was going to happen this is what i'm gonna need you to do you're gonna have to hold on to this you're gonna have to give me a certain amount of breaths between so I mean, she was just running down this whole list of like what's about to go down um i asked her if the chief was going to be there because he, he was working that night again she told me he was um, but you know, he'll be in the back. He would just observe. I'm like, cause I don't want him in here. Um, and, um, but she said she's running the show basically. I was like, okay, cool. So, um, yeah, it, I was pretty much in like life preservation mode at that point. Right. So, cause it was just so much happening and I'm like breathing, you know, going through the, the breathing, um, uh, techniques, you know, that I had learned over the course of four days. And, um, and it, it gave me such control of what I was feeling and how I was feeling it. Um, you know, I did have an epidural, so I was only dealing with pressure, not pressure and pain, which I am okay with. Um, after what I was hearing, like the night before, there was like some crazy screams going on in the hospital. And I'm just like, okay, I don't want to know what a tent feels like. Um, but, um, the pressure was definitely like, I understood what they were saying about the pressure and just the feeling of, you know, having to poop and all, it was just, it was intense, but, um, you know, she, the, the midwife said, you know, don't push unless you absolutely feel like you have to, but just, you know, working on it with the, the controlled breath. So I'm like, okay. So I was just like locked into doing that. Um, she eventually had to tell me, all right, it's time to put <laughs> like, girl, you what you doing? Like, cause she, she was waiting for me to tell her like, okay, I really feel like, but I'm like, I was okay. Cause I was just breathing. You told me to breathe this baby out. So <laughs> that is what we tell everybody. Breathe like, the baby, breathe baby out. I'm like, I'm going to breathe this baby out. Um, and then, yeah, it came time to do the, the, the pushes and then just the, the signs of all of like how the contractions and the riding of the wave and, you know, how the contractions are moving. I mean, it just all fell into place of understanding like what was supposed to be happening at that moment. So the only other last hurdle was just for me to understand the right muscle to use for the big pushes. And that took a couple of tries. <laughs> I'm like, where? I couldn't find it. I'm like, I'm like trying to get the right, like, <laughs> and then I did. And I was holding on to these hooks that I have no idea where they came from, but they were there. And the big one, she came and then she's like, I see the head. Okay, here are the shoulders. And then I just felt the boom, boom, boom. I was like, oh my God, I think a baby just came out of me. And then they you know, showed them to me and I was just like kind of frozen at that point. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this just happened. And it was it was really so fast. Like out of all the days I was dealing with everything, like that process was like 10 minutes. <laughs> Like I'm actually getting the baby out. It was so quick. Yeah. And um I had a baby vaginally. And he was only eight pounds, six ounces. Okay. Right. Um, there was no soldier distortion, in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> and he Amen. was healthy. Yeah. He was healthy and awesome. Aren't you awesome? Yeah, you're awesome. 
Oh my gosh. Well, hey y'all, it's Jessica here. I came on late, so I haven't been asking questions. But Pamela, let me just say you are like the best storyteller like I can <laughs> ever had on the podcast. Thank I you. am not. Am I, I telling like the story? Girl, she's good. You're good. You like, got a story to tell though, don't you? You have a story. It was quite the experience. Hell. And I know like people are listening and you you're doing a great job telling the story. And Catherine, you're always great with asking the questions. But I know people are still that are listening are still like, oh my gosh, what just happened? This girl's in the hospital for how long? And yeah. what was wrong with her placenta? Oh, speaking of placenta, can you tell us about that? When you so if you gave birth to the baby. Then the placenta was oh it. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. Well, then she said, "Okay, now you have to deliver the placenta." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> well, I have no idea what that meant. Um, it was just, and I just had to do like another push. I think like, I don't remember. It was like at that point, everything she did to like wrap up was very traumatic. Like it was that the placenta, you know, I did tear, so she had to do that. That was absolutely awful. And then she said, I have to get the clots out. And she's like pulling on my stomach and pushing stuff out. And I'm just like, okay, goodness, this is terrible. But I mean, she was, she was such, she was a G. Like, I, she was so cool. Like, I, I felt so comfortable with her, you know, and I felt like she knew what she was doing. And the chief wasn't there. He didn't come the entire time. He came at, at all the way at the end after the whole show was over. And he just so saw the baby. Say? Like, ah. What hey, nothing. Congratulations, mom. That was it. Like, yeah, you bully. <laughs> right now, two things. The you were a hundred percent effaced for a while, and do you remember you were like, "How long do I wait? How long do you tell a woman to wait?" Will you tell us how long? Do they yeah, wait? I was, and that's the thing. Like, I was effaced. The position, I wasn't. The position wasn't like all the way down, but we had had a couple of notches down, right, from the original position, from three, I think it was, right? So we were down to, like, maybe one by then. So, um, and it's just, there was just no, I mean, they were, they kept telling me, you're still three centimeters, you're still three centimeters. And it was just, I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you, but clearly I'm having a baby at some point in the next yeah. couple of days, right? That's so, right. That's right. And, and it was... It went from no change at all, you know, to these things very distinctively happening to y'all surprise too. So, um, so yeah, it, I mean, again, like that's when, when it came, when I had to, to, to call you guys and, and text you guys, like, I, what's the right answer for this? Cause I don't, I still don't want to see a section. <laughs> right. So, right. So. So you just what like your body will do it. I think that that's what I love about your story, Pam. If you had stopped at any point, day two, day three, day three and a half, then the people listening, you would have had a C-section, right? And then it would have just been like, well, I had to have a C-section. My body wasn't going to deliver. No, your body, if if you waited on the rule, which was, which is to let your contractions be... Oh goodness, the three one one rule now. Uh three minutes apart for at least one minute um for each contraction for at least an hour, then you would have never been in the situation. This is my sweet girl who is supposed to be inside. So say hi, Crystal Lily. Crystal Lily. Oh, that is beautiful. <laughs> it is beautiful. Hey girl. Thank you. Yeah. 
are. Let me pause this. But Jessica, mm-hmm. will you continue talking about the three one one rule so that everyone knows that if she had waited, that she wouldn't even have been there for four or five days. Yeah. It would have just been. Yeah. Go ahead. And that's and that's the thing, like with your story, like Catherine was saying, like you were um I hate to use the word bully, but you know, people yeah. tell you all the worst things that can happen. I guess because it's their job, but also they want it to be done a certain way. So that's why you, and that's when I would say people might have questions like she was in the hospital for four days, you know, like that's why that happened because you went sooner than you actually had to because they were trying to bully you into doing something that you didn't want to do, which was a C-section. So typically we tell folks to, especially when you have a birth plan and it does not involve a C-section, You want to labor at home. You want to stay at home because if you go to the hospital before, you know, you start to get into like active labor or get super close to active labor, they will start to try to induce you. They may do it the wrong way. Pamela's story is not like everybody's story when they can kind of control the epitoxin. That usually does not happen. So they do it too much too soon. It can lead you in that domino effect and you're in right back up into like an emergency C-section. Um, so I lost my train of thought, Catherine. It's okay. Well, oh, I, okay. I, think I just wanted to, to say, like, I think I think we never went past, I have to ask my friend um, who, who was with me the whole time, but I think we never went past 11 or 12 on, on the Pitocin scale, something like that around there. Um, and the other thing was I was... <laughs> The the chief doctor, um, he 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 told me my the bishop score that they gave me, that was the other one, was twenty-seven percent. Like there was a twenty-seven percent chance for me to to be able to have a successful VBAC. And so when the midwife and the midwife was there when he said that, so when when he left, you know, we had a conversation. Um, she said, Well, that that's what they got. She's like, I got slightly higher. You know, I got 37%, but you know, we're going to try. We're going to try. <laughs> but yeah, I'm like, okay, y'all, y'all got zero faith in me. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is that when you look at the research and like what they say in terms of the success rate of someone having a vaginal birth or being eligible for a vaginal birth following a cesarean delivery is 80%, 80% mm-hmm. chance that things will go great. If you, which makes sense you know, because the eighty percent of the people are eligible to have a VBAC. What were you going to say? Yeah, well, well, that that is in line with the the authorization forms that I, I signed. <laughs> you know, that basically tells you all these these risks, right? Of 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 the the VBAC, but then also in the same breath says that the best possible outcomes for mom and baby is to have a vaginal delivery. Right. So it's like. Okay, so you know this is the best case scenario, but you know you're still what you say is completely opposite to what clearly the research even shows. And but and that's what like Catherine was saying about how hospital systems are thinking about so many things at once because they are a business. Um, and I feel like in those moments they're more so thinking about legalities and liabilities than a mom's like quality of life and her care. Yeah, and that was when that like I have to say these negative things. I don't have to say, 
or I choose not to say these other things because I'm afraid of being sued and liability and stuff. But the 311 rule, I had to look on my phone at the March of Dimes to make sure I get it right because these numbers and it gets me every time. We know it's a thing. So the 311 rule that Catherine was mentioning about was contractions are three minutes apart, lasting for one minute for at least an hour. And so once you get there, that's when you want to go into mm. um, the hospital if you're choosing to deliver at the hospital, because that's when your body is, you know, that close to active labor. And it's kind of like time to get there, because if you go to the hospital just because, I mean, they said I was going to deliver on Thursday, it's Thursday, I'm going to show up and nothing has happened and changed, you know, not knowing that due dates are just estimates and they're wrong, like. 80% of the time, I think. Um, if you mm. go too soon, if you go to a hospital with um, medical professionals, the way that they induce you or the way that they get things to go in the direction they want to, which is delivery, is through medicine, through like medical treatments and things like that. So those things are not in your birth plan. Like if you're you can't be one to say you don't want Pitocin and you don't want a C-section and you go into the hospital and nothing is showing that you're like in active labor because you will lead down that path. Because, I mean, Pamela's story is just so unique. It yeah. is not the same for everybody. And she really had to stand firm in what she wanted. And she also had healthcare professionals on her team to educate her. And because she was educated, she kind of, as the days went by, fear kind of went away and she was more confident in her body. And luckily, like she had, she was monitored and her baby was monitored. There was a unique thing about her waiting and, you know, on her labor to progress in the hospital because she was able to have that monitoring. Um, and it's just a beautiful story, but it's, it's so not everybody's. And it's, um, but it's so powerful because I mean, you the fact that you weren't just talking to any LB, like you were talking to the chief and the hospital, honey, and you were like, we'll 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 talk about this in the morning, um, because the monitor said I'm okay and my baby's okay. Like that's amazing. And, but I'm so happy that you also mentioned the people that were there on staff that were on your team. Because there were some people there on the staff that were not on your team. Mm -hmm. They just weren't. They didn't want to be a part of your team and your plan for your body, which drives me insane. You know, people want to run the show with what's going on on your body. But you ran your show. And then eventually, I think people started to observe you like, wait a minute, she really isn't doing anything wrong. This is just different from what we're used to doing in the hospital. Mm -hmm. You know, this actually is really cool. Like, let me go see what she needs. Like, do I need to give you a shower curtain or some food? You know, like, it, I feel like it, and I feel like maybe at first, because this is, we're healthcare professionals, so we know when people come in the door and they go against the norm, it's so easy for that to rub you the wrong way. You used to get offended as a healthcare provider. Because mm -hmm. you know what's best. Yeah. Yeah, but it shouldn't be that way. But once they get to know you and, you know, realize that, hey, no, this is her plan for her body and she's fine and healthy. So I guess we can do it this way, even though we're not accustomed to. And we can make this happen and be a beautiful experience. Yeah. So I'm glad that you got that out of that whole 
story. Girl, right I actually have one resident who was like, you know, the Debbie Downer. Um, because she, I saw her a couple of nights, and you know, she was the one who was kind of blatantly said, "It just, it doesn't look like your body is ready, is able to have a baby." I mean, she was like the one. Yeah, she said your body's trying to tell you, yeah, it's not wanting to have a vaginal delivery. Exactly, five minutes apart. Contractions were five minutes apart, and she was three centimeters dilated, and that was the. That was the conclusion. The message. Please go ahead. (laughs) She was the only one who, after I was on, because they, you know, they have the labor delivery and then mother and baby. So when I was on the mother and baby side, she came over and checked on me, and she she apologized, and she, you know, congratulated me on 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 the ability, you know, to do it, and and said, you know, we were wrong, clearly. Oh, that was really yes. I wasn't expecting that from her. So you have changed. You don't understand that stories like yours. And I I do want to say something. So I have to come back to this. The epidural situation, just so that people understand what happened with the epidural situation. She was given an epidural. Forgot about that. (laughs) Of course, within 15 minutes was texting like, okay, they said something's wrong with the baby. Uh, We, you know, we need to go ahead and have a C-section. Things aren't sounding right. And it turned out upon further questioning that put into the epidural was oh lord fentanyl <laughs> yeah fentanyl yes and of course so of course like the thing about it is everybody knows who is a medical professional that when that is given that that's going to affect the baby or there is potential very high potential for that to affect the baby and what was said was that it wouldn't affect the baby right and so a study was sent to you that explained what could happen to the baby um, and how if a baby, if you're on that for at least five hours, I believe is what the study said, that it actually shows up in the baby's urine after the baby's oh, born. Oh. And so for you to be worried, Pam, of course, as a mom, you're looking and they're saying, okay, now the baby's not responding well. They're not, it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's like, well, if someone came and gave me a narcotic, I probably wouldn't be able to respond to anything either. And so we have to think about that, right? And so luckily you were like, hey, so so we asked what's in the what is in the epidural, you know? And then of course they said fentanyl and you were like, what? What did you I was so shocked. This is after I signed paperwork, after you done tried to hit me, like it took me like three times to get to the, the epidural, the right. I mean, it was just backwards and it's um, just informed consent, right? Yeah. Like you should be informed is what I'm saying. And so if you're not asking though, you could really be consenting to things and it's not informed. So the reason I brought this up is because then you were able to say, you know what? I don't want that. Let's stop that. And can you give me something different? And they did. And everything turned around and it was fine. It's just like as a mom, though, your first instinct is to protect your child. Who cares about my body and how hard this recovery could be? I've done everything that I can up until this point, but I will not put my baby at risk. And so the amount of questions that you had to ask for clarification, the amount of advocating that you had to do for yourself, some women simply get tired. And so we want people who are listening to this episode to understand that the fight is going to last a little while if you're in a hospital system that is fighting against you, but that if you hold out and get the right information, that you can end up with a story like yours, Pam, that really can change the outlooks of a lot of healthcare professionals, because there are probably a lot of people who who would never, like us, 
seeing a woman advocate like you and then end up yeah. with vaginal delivery because sometimes too the stress will overtake you. I love that you were practicing that those breathing exercises. Those are staples in our little tool bag because <laughs> you got to be able to have control. And if you don't, then your stress will overtake you. You won't progress and then you will end up with a C-section. But you sitting there breathing when the baby's head is at your vaginal oh, girl. Yeah. Nobody's doing that. Everybody's <laughs> okay. So they're not used wow. to that. You know, like you really, I don't think that you understand how you could have possibly changed an entire environment, an entire culture at the hospital, an entire belief system. You believed in yourself. You trusted the people that you recruited onto your team. And now you have a sweet, sweet baby and you did not have to get cut again. So like, give us, tell us our listeners Anything that you want to say, of course, but please give advice to women who and families, because you did this. I mean, you had support, but you had a two-year-old that you needed somebody to watch. That's a long time. The system does not count on you having all that child care like you did so that you yeah. could be there that long. But um, advice, any advice that you would give to anybody listening? Sure. Well, um, definitely think about um, your team and who is going to be able to support you. And even if, um, you know, we're, we're in a remote world now and the amount of support that I was able to have remotely in addition to those who were able to be there in person made all the difference. It was night and day experience because I had that support. Um, get a doula um, <laughs> for sure. You need a doula. Um, and certainly if you can have, you know, a physical therapist, um, support, like it, it's just a different conversation that's being had with you. Um, you can also request a midwife, you know, to do your delivery. And especially since you, you work with a certain doctor, but it depends if you're going to be in a hospital, you know, you work, you might work with a certain doctor, but then depending on what day you actually go into labor, you know, it could be any doctor. So just to know that if you're going to have a random person, let it be a midwife. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, eat for sure. <laughs> um, I think that made a huge difference just to have the energy to not have headaches. Um, you know, have, have your, your water. I had coconut water. I had, you know, essential water. Um, I think that really just, you know, Okay, so all they wanted to give me was ice, <laughs> you know, ice chips, which was great. I loved it, but that wasn't going to be enough. Um, but I would say just, tr yeah, trust your instincts and and say what what that instinct was and, and just stick by it. Um, just really understand that you can run the show. You can say, yes, I want that. No, I don't want that. And, like, they have to abide by it, like. We, we just tend to think that, you know, it's what the doctor says or what the doctor allows. And I just had a front row seat of realizing that that's not what the medical field is supposed to be at all. You know, it's it's what you allow. It's what you enable. Um, and yeah, I just I listened to to my my instincts and um, got the confirmations I needed from the people I trusted, you know, but um Every woman's gonna have the the intuition to know like something is not right or something didn't sound right or something didn't come across right, and just trust that you know ask that question you know um, I think that's probably the most important thing because when you're in the moment you might do a whole bunch of prep and then you're in the situation and things 
can happen fast or, you know, but that instinct is still like the spidey sense is going to go off on you no matter what's happening around you. So you just have to listen to that voice. What a beautiful story. Jessica, are you, um, go ahead. No, I just, I just want to thank you for talking to us and talking to our audience and for, like Catherine said, the impact that you made on whatever hospital that was, because you have definitely, your experience is going to keep saving other moms and helping other moms for as long as those people on staff are working there, for sure, for sure. Definitely. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you want to give a shout out to Dr. Seagraves before we get Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you can hire Dr. Seagraves. You can hire Dr. Catherine, okay? And Ms. Dr. Thompson as well. I mean, like I said, like I, I should have listened to Dr. Seagraves a lot earlier than I did. But what I was able to accomplish when I finally decided to listen, you know, was all because of her. So, um yeah, it enhanced recovery is is just really is caring about the whole mom, the whole baby, the whole picture, the whole scenario. And um she was just amazing. So you both were amazing. Catherine, Catherine, you were amazing. Like I felt like I was annoying you guys. I'm like asking all these questions and double checking things, just being I don't know, feeling like I'm being extra, feeling like I'm being a burden, but you know, it, it, it I wouldn't have gotten through without you guys. Well, I'll tell you that you are not a burden and, and, and asking questions should be encouraged. Not It should not make you be made to feel self-conscious or like you're bothering anybody. And that's what we find discourages moms the most from asking questions is that they feel they're made to feel bad. And so what we try to tell moms, though, is that if you don't ask, you lose. The healthcare provider is never going to lose. You lose. And so we are grateful that you asked all the questions because otherwise you're still making an uninformed decision. So we don't believe in making unsafe decisions. We believe in making informed decisions with monitoring. And so you had both. And that's why you were able to successfully advocate for yourself because you chose to listen to both. You chose to look at all the information Sometimes women are in the hospital and they don't want to read articles and they don't want to listen to podcast episodes. And they, you did all of that. And I don't even understand how you did how you found the time to do it. But you looked at the information, you made informed decisions, and that is why you're here. And I just want to say, Rebecca loves you so much. And I know that you know that, but she, if she could, would turn the world upside down for you. And when I think about who we should have in our corners. It's someone like that who knows you inside and out, knows your desires. When people are choosing who needs to be in the room with them, whether it's virtually or in person, it needs to be someone who is willing to put their life on the line for you. And she would do that without question. And I think you, I think you know that. I do. Um, and so it takes courage though, to do what you did, which is pick up the phone and put it on speaker and be like, Hey, Yes, this is my therapist on the phone. This is my doula on the phone. This is my midwife. This is whoever. It takes courage to do that. And a lot of people don't want to invite other people in virtually, but there should be no harm in that because as a mom, you should not birth by yourself. You should not have to birth by yourself. You were in the room and thank God your best friend was there. But it's like some people have no one 
And we're making decisions in the heat of the moment without other people who have information. So this happened because you are brave. You are courageous. You are an amazing mom. And so if you protect your baby like that when he's inside, cannot imagine the type of mother that you are to both of your sons. So thank you, Jessica, thank you. But we really thank you because your story are is stories that we want to continue to perpetuate, right, Jessica? Like that is why Operation Mist is here, so that women are not forced into decisions, so that they have what they need, not just research, but they understand their bodies and they're willing to stand up and say, my body was designed to do this. So can you help me do this or not? And if you're not going to, I will move on. I will ask another midwife. I will invite another doula. I will call someone else because we will not be forced into medicalizing what is supposed to be a natural process. So thank you for what you did. It, it is going to change lives. And I know we're maybe when we do a part two, we'll talk about the legislative changes that are taking place because of you and your story and people reaching out now and saying, hey, what can we do to make it better? It took it took you doing that or you wouldn't be here where you are. So thank you for coming. Thank you. I do want to shout out the womb sister um, who's with my doula. And Aja, um, Aja Humphrey, she's also with the two second, my second doula, um, who also supported me with postpartum support, which I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, and she's just been amazing as well. So, um, yeah, but it was just having incredible women around me who could, you know, just, I, I was so uninformed prior to this. Like, I mean, really, really uninformed on a lot. <laughs> and it was a crash course that ended up in a beautiful baby being here. So. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Operation Miss podcast. It is our hope that you leave this conversation showered with love and empowered to live. If you are interested in being a part of Operation Mist, please head to operationmist.org to learn more about who we are, what we do, and how we can serve you.